fear. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers with the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epiphras, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea, and those who are in Hierapolis. Luke, <clears throat> the beloved physician, and Demas, greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and uh, Nymphus, and the church that is in his house. Now when the, this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that you may likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received of the Lord, in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. May the Lord bless this reading to our, our good understanding. <clears throat> I've entitled the message this morning, um, uh, Incidental Greetings, Incidental Greetings uh, for a, an Ironic Purpose. The, the incidental things of our lives are usually not the big things, not the great things. When something is incidental, it's kind of a marginal. It's kind of alongside other things. And so this, this part of the letter to the Colossians is not a central part of the letter. It doesn't deal so much with Christology as the rest of the letter has done. Remember, the, this letter of, of Colossians is a deeply... Christological uh, letter. In other words, it deals with the doctrines of Christ in a little bit more of an abstract way. Uh, like in the, in the first chapter, it said, all things consist or cohere in Jesus Christ, which, uh, which speaks of the fact that Jesus Christ is more than a, a Savior and a Lord to his people. Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity, is the eternal logos, the eternal Son of God, and who is the efficient agent of the Father to both create the world and to sustain the world uh, in his power. And so Jesus Christ is that, is that special envoy of the Trinity, that special envoy of the Godhead, uh, with whom Paul has elaborated somewhat uh, to the Colossians, especially on the point that we mentioned earlier, that here they are, a pagan, uh, a, in a pagan city, far off from everyone else, basically, uh, a little bit of proximity to Laodicea and to Ephesus, but they're, they're a mission church uh, much further away than we are from Bell Center or uh, from some of the other churches in Indiana from our, in our Presbytery. Uh, the Colossians were a distant group uh, that... Uh, were existing in the pagan world. And yet, it's a pagan world in word only because it's a, it's a world which was created by uh, the Father through the Son, the Son being the tool or the instrument through which 
the Father brought the cosmos into existence. Uh, how did he How did he bring the earth into existence? He spoke it into existence. He spoke the word of God, and the word of God through the word of God created all that there is. Who is the eternal logos? Who is the eternal word? But Jesus Christ. And so, while some people turn to uh, the red letter editions of the Bible, and they only consider the red letter uh, scriptures to be the word of God, or the word of Jesus, we realize that, yes, those were his incarnate words when he was with us, but the whole New Testament, the whole Old Testament, is also the word of Christ, because it came through him before he was incarnate, and then after he was incarnate. And then these words of Paul, these epistles of Paul, he's already resurrected and ascended, but he's still making revelations to the apostles of what he wanted in his word. And so Colossians is deeply Christological. It really emphasizes how intimate and powerful our Lord Jesus Christ is and was even eternally. But at the end of the letter, we have these uh, incidental teachings, uh, these incidental mentionings of these various people. And there are a lot of names here to whom Paul sent, by whom Paul sends greetings and to whom Paul sends greetings. And it's in the focus upon those names that we're going to focus this morning in our, our scripture. And uh, I do this because... First of all, this is part of scripture. It's here for a reason, and there are reasons seen herein that are really important. First of all, it's very easy for us to think that we are unknown ciphers in this world. A cipher is a symbol. And so instead of having a name, we might just be uh, one of many people. Uh, we might be like the ants or the birds of the air that uh, even though they, they have different kinds, they're seen mainly as part of this larger uh, animal or insect grouping. But by, by using the names at the end of the passage here, our Lord teaches us that, our, that we are also creatures of name. That whatever our names are, that those are not just incidental, those are not unimportant. And each of us, and I stress this very forcefully, each of us uh, is important to the Lord. If we have confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, then we compare to the people who are mentioned here. God knows us. And God knows that his beloved son died for us. We are not just unknown people, ciphers, unknown ciphers in the world like so many geese or so many crows that are there, but they don't really count. No, God has chosen us from all eternity to be part of his forever family. And that's an important thing. And that, that's, that, that is one of the terrors of the pagan world, where they resist God, and yet they, they try to grab for themselves some sense of importance for themselves. Think of the children today that are uh, cutting themselves with sharp objects because they're so pained by the circumstances around them uh, that they're trying to, by, by cutting themselves, 
they, they are trying to bring to their minds some sense of their own existence. The fact that there is, that they can feel pain, that they're not just lost, one of the many out there that have no individuality. No, the living God gives us individuality through our names, and these names are known. Like Tychicus in verse 7, with whom we start, and Onesimus in verse 9, and then Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice in verse 10, Epiphras in verse 12, Luke, Demas, and Nymphus in verse 14, and those that follow after that. Um, so the, this is an important lesson to us. We, we matter. God knows our names just as God knew the names of these people. So God knows our names also. What shall we do? God, God knows your names for better or worse. God will watch you for better or worse. God will endow you, endow you with grace for better, for judgment, for worse. Because he, just because he knows your name. He cares about you. He cares about how you respond to him. He wants your love. So each of us as individuals must love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our souls and all of our strength. And I always add after I say that scripture verse, how can you love God with all of your heart and your soul and your strength? You can't do it. There's only one person who's ever done that. Who is that person? You know, it's the Sunday school. That's right. It's the, it's the magic word in Sunday school class. Jesus. The, the, the answer to every question in some way what shape or fashion. And so because of Jesus, we we can uh, love the Lord with all of our heart and our soul uh, and our minds if we're in him. So if we, let's look at these verses. I've got the points of scripture on the, on the sermon outline. And um, uh, first of all, we have Tychicus in verse 8 and uh, in, uh, verse 7. It says, the Tychicus is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. Now, Tychicus was one of those early ministers of the church, and in the case when Paul went to Rome, there were a few men that went with him to minister to him in Rome, and also to take his words and greetings to the churches in the far, in the far reaches of the empire. Tychicus was one of those men. And it's, uh, it's an indication that the Holy Spirit was working in the early church to give gifts to men, to raise them up for ministry, so that the church could be taken care of. And we see here that Tychicus is one of these men. Now, every name that is mentioned here is very significant. Uh, if they're mentioned in a positive way, it's usually because they became leaders in the Christian church. This is very evident with Tychicus because Paul says he's a minister. So he's one of the leaders in the early church. Uh, these people all began as uh, simple believers, as people who interface with either Jesus or the apostles in some, some way early on, and then they became substantial people. And this is a great promise to all of us. Each of us can become leaders in our churches. And I would exhort you, uh, men and women both, to, to realize that you have a place to play in the future of the Church of Christ. Realize that with the mention of Tychicus and take your place. Don't just let it pass by. Don't just be passive. Don't just be a pedestrian or a, a tourist in the Church of Jesus Christ. Be a member of the Church of Christ. 
take your place. Paul said about Tychicus, I'm sending to, to you, him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Okay, the second person he mentions is Onesimus, and Onesimus is uh, mentioned in the book of Jude. He um, is a very important person in the book of Jude, Jude, especially as we talk about the idea of freedom slavery. Onesimus was a slave. And uh, even more interestingly, he was a slave of Jude, who had a book of the Bible written or named after him. So Jude, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, evangelist Jude, who had a book of the Bible named after him, owned this slave named Onesimus. Now this ought to tip us off immediately that uh, all forms of slavery the ancient world were not condemned, that they were somewhat useful. And I've said before that slavery you know, was the ancient world's form of, or one of the ancient world's forms of social security. Uh, today we, we pool our uh, salaries in some sense and a portion is taken off of them to be a blessing to the elderly in our land that can no longer work. In the ancient world, if you couldn't if you couldn't sustain yourself, you could sell yourself into slavery, and there was there was a contract that was written up, and so there were different there were all different levels of slavery. Now that the the the, uh, the hardest form of slavery is being a uh, uh, can't think of the, the correct adjective for the slavery or the adverb for slavery. Uh, but it's a slavery of, of uh, more abject bondage. And th these slaves were usually taken in war uh, or a kind of, kind of criminal activity. In other words, if you stole money and you couldn't repay it yourself, the court would give you a, an opportunity to repay it. Of course, that was very difficult. But if you, if you tried and you couldn't repay it, then the final step was that you could be made a slave of somebody, the, the person that you, that you stole from or robbed, you could be made a slave of that person, and then you'd be in bondage to that person until you worked out your debt. Now we don't know, uh, we don't know what um, Onesimus was, we don't believe that he was uh, a slave based on war or uh, taken, and uh, we know that the American Indians used to, used to use this process so that if you were taken in an Indian war, you'd become the slave of the new tribe you were taken by. But this, the Indians are simply doing that, that which was the, uh, the, the common tradition in the ancient world. But, well, Onesimus, we, we don't know. He was probably uh, taken in uh, slavery for, for some, on some other basis, and it could have been that he, um, that he wasn't a very profitable citizen some way, and so he was made a slave. But what we see with Onesimus is that he became very, very useful. In other words, the gospel affected his life. He became more and more responsible. And so uh, when in Jude, when he's mentioned in Jude, Paul writes to writes to Jude and says, uh, receive, receive Onesimus when he came back from being with Paul, and we it sounds like Onesimus might have escaped. But uh, Paul says, 
uh, to Jude, his, his owner, receive Onesimus not as a slave, but as a dear brother in Christ. In other words, he was going to continue to serve Onesimus until, I mean, uh, serve Jude until either his contract ran out or until Jude canceled his contract and gave him his freedom. But he wanted Jude no longer to consider Onesimus as an abject slave or as a, as a servant, but as a brother in Christ. And what, and what we see from this is that Jesus Christ is the fountain or the foundation of all freedom, ultimately. In other words, the reason why we even would say or argue that slavery is not a good thing is because Christ has shown us that all slavery came from the fall. All slavery came from us being slaves to sin. And when we're free from sin, when sin is canceled out for us, as it is with Jesus, or through Jesus Christ, then we have our freedom. So in the Lord, the Lord is showing us that freedom is the best condition to be in. That doesn't mean that, that uh, Onesimus, or that Jude was bound to cancel Onesimus' uh, servitude to him just because Onesimus had become a Christian. But there was something unnatural about it. And from that time on, as soon as Onesimus became a Christian, it showed that if he was free before the Lord, then he ought to be free before men also. And so his freedom in Christ argued for his freedom before men. Now, what, what is fascinating about this is that people today have this great allergy against freedom, but they have no theological, philosophical argument for why slavery is wrong. I mean, if we really are people that are simply existing by the survival of the fittest, well, then what's wrong with the fittest enslaving those who are weaker? There's nothing wrong theoretically about that. And so today we have this great allergy against, against slavery, and yet we have no philosophical argument for the ethics against slavery. To say where it's really bad. Unless, you're, unless, unless Jehovah God rules, unless his only begotten son really is true, and has really freed us from our sins, then there's no there's no real argument against uh, slavery unless, based on the survival of the fittest, that the, the slave becomes more powerful than the owner, and then, of course, he could kill the owner, and based on the survival of the fittest, he could kill the owner, maybe enslave other people. But there's no real argument against slavery. So the, the, today's people, have our civilization today, has rebelled in so many ways against God and yet they want all the benefits of the, of the Lord, God of this world, and the Lord God of freedom. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no real argument for freedom. And that's why in the modern day, even as men, even as men argue against slavery, our modern day has begun to enslave people more than ever before. I mean, in terms of the West, just think of Let's think of these vaccinations and the mandates that have come out from the government. They're not even obeying their own laws and, and, and making these mandates by law. They're just making them by the decrees of governors and mayors like de Blasio in New York City. And they're making these mandates. They are firing people. They're making them lose their jobs because they have not been vaccinated or they disagree with the government, something like that. And so uh, our culture today, um, even while it 
on one hand it says they are so we're so mature we wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't dignify slavery and yet if the government decrees slavery then that's all right you know it's just that we we're, we're totally torn by modern contradictions and it's all because we've rejected the lord um so we see Onesimus who's mentioned god knew him god knew him by name and god cared about him and um argues with Jude that uh, he ought to, if he thinks of Onesimus as a brother in Christ, that that will be good. And of course, if you think of someone as a brother in Christ, then how can you keep them enslaved for very much longer? You you're, you want the best for them, and you want to bless them with the freedom that you can give them. Uh, Aristarchus <clears throat> uh, was uh, in the, the Ephesian riot with the Apostle Paul. We don't know a whole lot about him, but we know that he was beat up with Paul in the riot in Ephesus. And he, um, he uh, afterwards went to Rome with Paul uh, and, and was in prison for a short time, but not as long as Paul. Uh, Mark is the, the um, one of the gospel writers he wrote a whole gospel he was a he was influenced both by jesus and by paul and so some people will argue that the gospel of mark is uh the gospel that paul didn't write could might have written but didn't write but he influenced mark and we know that um that uh, uh at one point mark uh, fell off from uh, following paul and he went with Barnabas to Cyprus, and this is an this is an indication of why he did that. Not only was he well, they they think that he just for whatever reasons he he was uh, he wanted to go with Barnabas, but Barnabas was his blood relation, and Barnabas was going to Cyprus to be the minister there. And if you go to Cyprus today as a tourist, you will see um, buildings and inscriptions to Barnabas because Barnabas was in Cyprus. And so these are confirmations of what the Bible has said and gives us a basis um, to, uh, to appreciate these men. Um, and uh, he says that uh, Mark, that they had received instructions about Mark, and ultimately they, they received instructions to, uh, that, that Mark's gospel was part of the, the scriptures and to follow that as the word of God. And then there's, a, in verse 11, there's a, a Justice, a Jesus who says who was called Justice. I think this is interesting that this man had been named Jesus in Greek uh, for Jesus, but evidently he did not, as becoming a Christian, he did not want to have the, the name Jesus. He felt like that was somewhat uh, blasphemous or degrading to Jesus, and so even though his legal name was Jesus, Jesus, uh, he started going by the name of Justice, and uh, and uh, that became known. Uh, Paul says about these men, they are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. So these men were Jews. They were of the circumcision. They were the only ones that, that, that helped him who, were, uh, who were, uh, had a Jewish background. That's, that's interesting. Uh, Paul was a Jew himself. He had a great heart and love for Judaism, and yet he was the apostle to the Gentiles and began to incorporate and add Gentiles to his band of workers. And he says about them, 
these Jews, they have proved to be a comfort to me. In verse 12, he mentions Epiphras, and Epiphras, he says that Epiphras was from Colossae. Epiphras was one of you. He was part of the Colossian church who was working with Paul. And he, he says, a bondservant of Christ. In other words, a slave of Christ, a doulos of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word for servant and slave in the New Testament is the same. It's doulos. And so uh, whether you were a servant, a servant was qualified slave, and a slave was some sort of servant uh, unto the, uh, under his owner or his master. And so Epiphras was a bond servant, but he was a bond servant of Christ. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons that we are, argue for the equality of slaves before us is that we are all slaves of Christ, uh, but we, but then we are also free in Christ. So based on that, we ought to think of each other in, in that way. So he says, Epiphras, who is one of you, bond servant of Christ, greet you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers. Well, Epiphras wasn't going to come back like some of the others. He wasn't going to come back to them like some of the others here who Paul uh, wrote and said that they should be received with uh, esteem. Epiphras was going to stay with, with Paul and was going to keep laboring with him. And he says, even as he labored for, with Paul, verse 12, halfway through, it says, he, labored fervent, he labors fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis uh, uh, likewise. Um, so here was a man who was from Colossae, was working with Paul. But even though he was separate from these other people, his heart was, was committed to these people. When we have prayer meetings in our local church, we often pray for people that have gone out from us who are distant maybe missionaries or whatever, and many of these people then are in distant places and they think about us and they pray for us. And the whole Church of Christ is united with this love which manifests itself in prayer. When you pray for such people, do you pray fervently like Epiphrans? Is your heart really bound in such people? Or are you uh, merely tourists of some sort or another who pass from this place to that place, but your heart is never really knit with such people. Epiphras was not like that. He was from Colossae, but he never forgot Colossae. You may be from some family of, uh, that has identified itself with Christ. Never forget that. You may wander, you may do something else, you may live in a different place, but remember from whence you came and give yourself over to these folks with, with prayer. And, uh, and God's blessing. Next, in, in verse 14, we have three men mentioned. Luke, who was also a gospel writer. Uh, Luke, uh, this is the 14th verse. Um, uh, Luke, uh, the beloved physician, and uh, Demas, meet, uh, greet you. Uh, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. And so we have Luke, Demas, and uh, in Nymphus. Now, a couple of interesting things here. In 2 Timothy 4.10, uh, Demas is mentioned again, but in a negative way. Paul says at that point that he deserted Paul because he didn't want to undergo the persecutions that were following Paul and tended to engulf 
those people that were with Paul. So Demas is mentioned very, very negatively in 2 Timothy 4.10, and uh, he's mentioned here positively from his earlier life. This is an indication that, that some people do fall away, and uh, your name, it's, it's not enough to, have to simply have your name mentioned in, in the, by way of the church. But you want your name mentioned by way of the church in a continuing way. You want your name to be mentioned in the church in the beginning and the end. I'm, I'm somewhat near the end of my life at this point. But one of the things that stirs me up, when I think of, when I think or when I'm tempted to, to weaken my um, enterprise for Christ, it strikes me. I don't want to be known as one of those people that simply uh, sat down my vocation, and stopped working for the Lord Jesus Christ. What would it say if I walked away from being a minister now and just went to relax, and just uh, just went to a vacation or something, or retire in the sense that I uh, wasn't working anymore for the Church of Christ? It would say that I really wasn't uh, besotted or in love with the Church of Christ at the beginning. We don't leave off from those people that we love. We don't stop loving them. We don't stop working for them. We don't stop committing our lives to them. And so, uh, in this way, uh, Demas is a, is a bad example, but he reminds us of all these other good examples. And then Nymphus is, a, is an interesting example because uh, Nymph Nymphus, you, you might remember or notice that his name reminds you of the word nymph. What, what is a nymph? Well, in, in, uh, in the dictionary, according to the dictionary definition today, a nymph is a, a little fairy-like creature. Sometimes a, uh, in the biological world, a, 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 an, in, an, in, an insect that is not fully matured. A, a young insect that was born, maybe a caterpillar, then turns into a nymph, and then turns into a full butterfly or something like that. So uh, we, but in terms of um, in terms of uh, literature and in terms of uh, mythology, uh, the nymphs were these uh, mysterious wee creatures, especially in the forest. Forest nymph, and they were sometimes cast as thought to have done good things and sometimes be uh, uh, troublesome. But they were, they had their, uh, the, the word nymph has its attachment to the, the world of the pagan world, where there are powers, even divine powers, associated with the dark shadows of the forest. When things go wrong, you know, you, 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 if you have a cabin in the woods and you wake up in the morning and something has uh, been disturbed, well, you could, you could associate it or you could attribute it to a raccoon. Or if you were given over to more uh, mythology, uh, you might say, well, the, the forest nymphs came last night to our house and disturbed them. Uh, so the word, uh, the, the word nymph could be associated and was often associated with the world of the spirits. And that's not Christian. That's, uh, that may be mythological, but it's not, it's the, the Lord of the Bible doesn't speak about how we need to know about the nymphs or the, 
the spirits of the forest or whatever. Now, what's interesting about this is that this man had the name Nymphus, uh, but evidently he did not change it like Jesus changed his name to Justice. And it's interesting that he, he, he had that name, and he so he, it shows that he wasn't afraid. He wasn't intimidated by superstition so much that he felt like he had to change his name. There are some Christians that are really troubled by superstition. They're Christians, but as they're walking along the sidewalk, they won't step on the crack because they've heard the old saying, if you step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back. Foolish things like that. But Nymphus wasn't of his mind. He, he had this name that could be associated with pagan mythology, but he, he, he felt like his name, his parents had had that name, and, and that he could bear it, and uh, he could be a Christian, and, uh, and not be superstitious, and not change everything uh, in his life. So there are different reasons. Sometimes we feel like we want to change our, our, our lives over something like this. But in, in Nymphus's case, uh, this is a good good proof text for the fact that this is not absolutely necessary uh, for the Christian to do. And, uh, and so uh, Paul mentions him as one of these important people uh, to whom he writes. And then he, moves, he closes with these last thoughts. He says, now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea and say to Aristippus, Aristippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received of the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This is the salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Well, these last thoughts here are, are, are very clear evidence that Paul believed that his letters that he was writing were scripture. So they're not only to be read to the church at Colossae during the worship service, but they're to be read in the, in the church of Laodicea. And probably the, church, the letter reached uh, Ephesus, which was further to the west, because it was the word of God. In verse 16, it says, Now when this epistle is read among you, you see, it was it was obligatory to be read among them because it was an apostolic letter to an apostolic church that had an official standard, which all Scripture has to us. If something is judged to be scriptural, then it should be read among us. And here we have the archetypal pattern for this. And so in the letter of Colossians, we have a justification for the reading of the Word of God in the Church of Christ, which we do here this morning. This is one of, in terms of Reformed Presbyterianism and the um, regulative principle of worship, why do we read Scripture in the church service? And we don't do um, other things, other kinds of readings, other kinds of songs and that sort of thing. Well, because it has holy warrant. And this is one of the places, this is one of the proof texts for reading the word of God in our worship service because the Apostle Paul commanded it. And so he commanded it, of course, not for these incidental reasons as significant and important as they were. But the mass of the letter of letter to the Colossians is a Christological letter that focuses on the depth and the width and the height and the depth 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of that that Paul argues that this letter must be read amongst uh, the churches. So, as we are faithful ourselves, we are to read them, uh, uh, read them today. Now, the most important lesson in this lesson is that uh, we are named, and we are no, we are named like these people that are named in this letter. We are uh, supposed to be known, and uh, as we have been known to God, so we shall so shall we be known. We know that the, the Bible talks about the book of life, the fact that all of our names are written in the book of life. Uh, this is mentioned in uh, uh, Ezekiel nine four, Psalm sixty nine twenty eight, where the, the names are blotted out of the book. Um, it's mentioned in Psalm 139.16 and uh, Daniel 12.1. It's mentioned in Revelation. The book of Revelation is mentioned seven times. The book of life is mentioned seven times. There are various books that are associated with the book of life. Uh, the book of the Lamb and that sort of thing are mentioned seven times. Revelation 3.5, 13.8, etc. Uh, the book of life is mentioned in Philippians 4.3. Each of us needs to have our names written in the book of life. How do we know our name is written in the book of life? Because at some point we confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord. People don't confess that Jesus Christ is Lord unless the Holy Spirit has worked that up in them. One of the reasons the pagans disparage the Bible is because the Holy Spirit is not working in them. They don't desire to identify with Christ. They desire in the depths of their hearts, to run from Christ. But if your name is written in the book of life, you will come forth and confess that Jesus is Lord. And when you confess that Jesus is Lord, you will cling to that, that Christ, who is your Lord, throughout your life. And you will die confessing that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. And you will receive the reward which is due unto you because your name is written in the book of life. Just like Epiphras and, uh, <clears throat> and Onesimus and Tychicus and Aristarchus and Mark and Justice and uh, uh, Luke and Nymphus. Because your name is written in the palm of Christ's hand. Your name is written in the book of life. You have this association with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a stability there. God does not leave you dangling out there in space with no name and no significance. He has your name written in the book of life. So wherever you are in this walk, I have a lot of young people with us this morning. Wherever you are, you need to ask yourself, is my name written in the book of life? Well, have you confessed the Lord Jesus Christ? If you haven't, then that's something that you need to do. That's something that you need to find out more about. You need to talk to your family, your minister, other Christian people, brothers and sisters who are already believers and who, whose names are written in the book of life. You need to start talk with them and work that out. God does not want you ambiguous. God does not want you out there dangling in an unknown status. He wants us to be known by the fact that our names are on, the, on, on his roles, that we cannot be lost because that
that which is written in the book cannot be undone in terms of this book of life. So let us take these incidental greetings that we have here at the end of the book of Colossians. Let us take these incidental greetings and realize their significance for us. Make them count. May it drive you to confess the good confession of Christ. Let's close. Our Father and our God, we pray that thou wouldst bless the hearing of these words, especially to the young, but also to the aged, as I have spoken about myself, not wanting to disqualify myself by dropping out of the race later on. Help us, O oh God, to remain faithful by thy grace. Keep us, O oh Lord, by thy power. We know that in ourselves we have none of this power. We must be regenerated. We must be born again. And then thy spirit, the spirit which began a good work in us, must continue it till the day, to the end of our lives. It must be continued to the end. And so we pray for thy grace that it would continue in us and with us, that it would not be finished with us until we are finished with our race, that we would be friends and ultimately see the Apostle Paul and all these other great saints of God, that we would see them in our heavenly rest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.